0: first part of this sermon was not recorded. For context, in his introduction, Ken talked about a family who had a lion as a pet and where it went wrong. Anyway, here is what was recorded of the sermon. You are stuffed because Wikipedia tells me that they can run 50 miles an hour and leap 36 feet in the air. So as we look at Daniel 6 this morning, this morning, sorry, this evening, or any time of the day we need to know it's hard to live in a lion's den it is hard to live in a lion's den i mean it seems pretty darn obvious doesn't it but, but let me ask you a question how long was daniel in the lion's den answer one day yeah but actually i want to argue that daniel spent the best part of 70 years in the lion's den He was snatched in Daniel chapter 1 from Jerusalem, the safe confines of of, of where he was able to live out his faith freely and taken to Babylon where people were hostile to his life and faith. And by the time we get to Daniel 6, Daniel's almost 80. He has lived all of his adult life in enemy territory. How do you handle it? I wonder how you handle it when you live in a culture that is... Just constantly, relentlessly hostile to your faith. It's tempting, isn't it, just to retreat, to pull back? But not Daniel. Verse 1. Have a look. Verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. (laughs) So, So what's Daniel doing in this seriously unpromising situation? He's knuckling down, working hard, proving himself trustworthy, so much so that Darius, the new king, wants to make him his prime minister. So I want to encourage you in your day-to-day life, in this culture of ours that seems utterly godless, to work hard and do good. Be someone who others can rely on. Work with, verse 3, an excellent spirit. Often around churches there's this sense that Church stuff is the most important stuff that you can be doing. And, and while I, I don't want to draw away from that brilliant um, notice that uh, Ben and Karen gave us on, on serving, which is, is, is really important as we work together as the body of Christ, uh, it, yeah, there's a sense that sometimes maybe the flip side of that is, that is that work, life, or home life doesn't really matter quite as much as serving at church. Yet it does. Look how Daniel shines for God, as he says, faithfully in the Babylonian civil service. So work hard, whether it's at school or, or work or at home. Even if people there are your enemies, even if they're not Christians, even if you have a boss or a teacher that you don't like, work hard and pray that God will enable you to use the gifts that he has given you to do others good. But then, don't be surprised when suffering comes. (laughs) Because for Daniel, the lions are on the prowl, aren't they? They are on the prowl. Look at verse four. Then the presidents and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. The claws are out. Do you see? Aren't they? They are jealous and they want to take Daniel down. Uh, Maybe they just wanted the top job for themselves. Maybe... Daniel had chopped some of their friends for diddling their expenses. Then again, maybe they were worried that Daniel was actually going to call them out and get them in trouble once he took over the, uh, the, as the main man. He was, after all, verse 4, neither corrupt nor negligent. But one thing is for sure, it was his faith in God that they went after. I wonder if those around us would say the same thing about us us as they did about Daniel back then. That you are neither corrupt nor negligible, negligent, totally honest and transparent in all of your dealings with others, and that the only thing that people could find against you is your faith in God. Well Daniel was God's man through and through. And when you stand for God, you will always face opposition. For behind the envy and cunning of Daniel's colleague is actually the devil. 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 8 tells us that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. As I read that, you might think, oh, that's, that's just the kind of thing that would have people out, out in the world laughing at us and mocking <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You believe in some guy you know, with horns and a, and a pitchfork and wearing red tights, you know, branches of red. Oh, typical Christians. You love your fairy stories, don't you? But you don't have to live... Long to understand, to, to feel that there is something evil in the world, something out there that is real and is trying to drag you and others down. For some of us, it's a particular temptation or maybe even an addiction. It seems impossible to shake a, a particular battle that we are fighting And, and even when we're winning, we know it's always lurking there, ready to pounce and drag us back down. For others, it might be a relationship or a disorder that we struggle with that that feels like a lion has literally sunk its teeth into us and won't let us go. And then for others of us, again, it it might plain and simple be being shunned and picked on mocked and laughed and marginalized I mean don't you feel like some people are just out to trip you up or even humiliate you for your faith in the Lord Jesus it's easy to think that if we do the right time uh, sorry the right thing all the time then, then people will thank us and they will love us and some will but clearly others won't It feels so unfair. You try to do the right thing and then you get it in the neck for it. While others are devious and they do whatever they want and they seem to be getting away with it all the time. But don't be surprised by that, folks. You are not in heaven yet. You live in a lion's den. So work hard. Do good for others. But then don't get discouraged if you suffer for it. It's actually a sign that, like with Daniel, you're going God's way. Well, Daniel's enemies, they're out to get him, aren't they? And they come up with this plan. they tell the king that uh, he should pass a law that for the next 30 days, people should just pray to him. the king kind of likes the sound of that, doesn't he? (laughs) Praying to me, (laughs) just me. Ah, yes, what an excellent idea. So he passes the law, he signs off on it. And if anyone breaks it, they will become lion food. So what's Daniel going to do? What would you do if you were in his shoes? We're going to read the second part of the passage in a second. But here's what I want us to do. I want to say, well, we're going to sing together and maybe use this as an opportunity to ask God to give you the courage to make a stand when he calls you into this kind of situation. Let's stand and sing together. So what will Daniel do? How do you survive in a lion's den? This is how you entrust yourself to the one who saves. Daniel did what he'd always done in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Folks, when the pressure's on, what do we tend to do? Is that what we do? I actually think we tend to look for two Possible alternative routes of rescue. Firstly, we try to save ourselves. We'll do anything to get out of trouble. I mean, if you were Daniel, which of the following thoughts would have been going through your head? Okay. I'll still pray three times a day, but I'll close the windows. God can still hear me, right? It'll be fine. Or I know, I know, I'll tone it down a bit. I'll just pray once or twice a day. I mean, three times is probably way too much anyway. I mean, I don't want to be known as you know, some kind of fanatic. Or what about, hold on, I am much more used to God in this important job, right at the top, in, in, in society, than in, you know, praying, which any any other Christian could do, or ending up dead. Tell you what, I'll just stop praying till the whole thing blows over. No, no, no. What's his response? He doesn't panic. He doesn't try and save himself, save his skin. He just gets down on his knees and he continues to pray. And, And why shouldn't he? He's devoted his whole life to the one who can be trusted in everything. Why would he give up on that now? He would rather sacrifice his entire career, even his life, than give up on God. God was the key to his success. And he's the key to yours too. So his first reaction was to keep on praying, keep on doing what he'd always done. They say that there's no such thing as an atheist on a sinking ship. I mean, when it's a life and death situation, we all cry out to God. But with Daniel, this was no last resort, no desperate last resort. It was a habit, wasn't it? Three times a day, he left his desk, or if he was at home, he switched off the telly, and he got down on his knees to pray. Three times a day, he would remind himself of who he is by calling out on his heavenly Father. Three times a day, He would dedicate his life and his gifts to God in prayer to be used by him. Just as he'd always done. Everyone in this chapter testifies to Daniel's devotion to his God. It was was so woven as a habit into his life that when the crunch point came, well, he didn't flinch. He stuck with it. Kept going. So let me ask you, what is your pattern of devotion that you're weaving into your life so that you do it in the good times and you're ready for the struggle? John Piper, the American pastor and author, has said this. He said, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook, other social media platforms are available like Insta and um, and, and Snapchat. I could go on, but... But basically, one of the great uses of social media will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not through lack of time. We make time for the things that are important to us, don't we? So, are we making time to pray? Are we finding space and a place away from all of the clutter and distraction of life where we can come before our loving Heavenly Father in prayer? Or are our lives hollow and prayerless? This is how you live in a lion's den. You entrust yourself to the one who saves. We all know we can't save ourselves, don't we? But often when we come to that point of realizing that, instead of turning to God, what we actually do is we look to someone else to save us. Before... My wife Fiona and I uh, had kids. We went on a wonderful holiday to Portugal, and we visited this lovely beach on the Atlantic coast. Uh, the sun was shining, the sea was shimmering, the sand was lovely and warm on your feet. And um, the only thing that, uh, the water just looks so inviting, but the only thing that, that, that we, was, was spoiling our form were these big signs up saying, stay out of the water. But Fiona and I, we, we love the sea. We weren't going to let some stupid old sign spoil our good time. So uh, we got the old, shook off the old sandals, and we started, started paddling in. And almost as soon as we got in, this great big old breaker came, and it just swept Fiona off her feet. And as she went down under the wave, she grabbed hold of me and dragged me under with her. <laughs> and we suddenly realized why the signs were up. There was this huge drop-off on the beach, And so we were sucked right down and then tumbled out um, and, and, and we just couldn't get upright. We just couldn't and we were getting sucked out to sea. And as Fiona tumbled around like a cat in a washing machine, she looked to me, her handsome, hunky, love of her life. Okay, okay, let's get real. She looked to me, the one who stood at the front of a church and made promises to love her and look after her. I have a ring that is a symbol of this. She looked to me to dive in and save her. So I did the chivalrous thing. I got myself out. Seriously, it was all I could do. It It was that rough. But fortunately, for the both of us, two beefy Portuguese guys rushed in, timed it just right, swept in, and pulled Fiona out. And uh, we went from sheer relief that we were both now standing on terra firma again to utter embarrassment. I was obviously embarrassed I couldn't save my wife. Fiona was embarrassed uh, that the entire beach had stopped. We're just standing stock still, watching her getting dragged out of the surf. But that's what we do when we can't save ourselves, don't we? We, we look to someone else to save us. Well, Daniel's enemies, they're, they're watching, and as soon as Daniel prays, they run off to tell the king. They're like naughty little school children telling tales, aren't they? They go, Daniel is praying, Daniel is praying. Now, who would you most expect To save Daniel at this point. Who? The king. I mean, the king. He's his man. He wants to raise him up to prime minister. But he can't. He tries, but he can't break his word. It's the law of the land. What a pointless king. I think one of the most striking things about Daniel 6 is, is seeing what Daniel says at this point. Look at it in verse 16. What What does Daniel say? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He's standing before the king. But he doesn't look for a human savior. He knows who's in charge. And it's not Darius. He has entrusted himself to the true king. I wonder, who are we looking to? What people are we looking to to fix our problems? Have you got someone about whom you say, this is the person who'll make everything better? Folks, let me tell you, they can't, they can't. Nobody has the power to do it all. They may be a really, really good friend. They may be a loving parent or a spouse. They might be a great boyfriend or girlfriend or brilliant midweek group leader or youth leader or, or pastor even. But do you know that the best thing that they can do for you They can take you by the hand and they can say, let's go and trust God together, let me lead you to Jesus. Human saviours cannot save you and I think that also means that you can't save people either. I think some of us might need to get over our Messiah complex we can help people, sure we can be a really, really good friend we can serve people well but we can't fix all their problems only Jesus can do that and even Darius seems to figure this out in verse 16 For as Daniel is thrown into the lion's den he cries out, may your God may your God whom you serve continually deliver you what follows must have been a miserable deeply uncomfortable night can you imagine it? Daniel, surrounded by all these hungry lions. Darius, heading back to the palace, unable to take any food or any entertainment. He doesn't even watch Descenders. He can't even sleep. Then the next morning, he runs anxiously to the cave. He runs to the cave to check on Daniel. Verse 20: Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. God is the king who saves. He shut the mouths of the lions. It is a miracle. And all of this points forward to another king. As 500 years after Daniel, Jesus comes along. (laughs) And boy, did he know what it was like to live in a lion's den. He faced massive opposition, didn't he? And yet, he worked hard. And he did incredible good for others. And yet, what do people think of him? Well, shortly before the end of his life, pretty much everyone turned away from him shouting crucify him, crucify him and they took him and they strung him up and they nailed him to a cross and he died and then his body was taken down and it was put in a cave and they rolled a stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and then very, one, very early one morning what happened, what happened some women, they came running didn't they running to the tomb, and they found that Jesus was alive. God shut the mouth of death itself because Jesus was the innocent one who entrusted himself to the one who saves. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. What was the last thing Jesus said as he died on the cross? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I trust you. So, whatever troubles or enemies you're facing in your life this evening, do you think He can't save you? He is, verse 27, the God who delivers and rescues and works signs and wonders. So, no matter how tough life gets, no matter how ferocious the lions, how relentless the opposition is, He is the God who can save us. He can. So do not doubt Him. Put your trust in Him and Him alone. Let me pray for us before we close our service and song. Let's pray. <coughs> oh, Father God, help us to realize that we cannot save ourselves and that there is no one, no matter how good, how, no matter how loving in our lives, who can save us either, only Jesus. And so we pray, Father, that in this culture of ours, which seems to stand so firmly against you, so ferociously and hostilely against you like lions, we pray, Father, you would help us to have courage and be bold and trust in Christ to give us all that we need not just to survive, but to thrive and to live for him, doing good for others, working hard, and bringing glory to his name. We pray that in that precious name of Jesus. Amen. Working hard and bringing glory to his name. We pray that in that precious name of Jesus. Amen.